Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys. This is a podcast from CBS News, and I am your host. Every week we discuss issues including gender and religion. This week, as Muslims around the world set out on Hajj, the annual pilgrimage to Mecca, we're looking at the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling on prayer. The justices ruled in favor of a former Washington State High School football coach who prayed on the 50-yard line after games with students. What are the implications for non-Christians and the separation between church and state? Joining us now, Attorney Edward Ahmed Mitchell, National Deputy Director of the Council on American-Islamic Relations. He explains the civil rights group's nuanced support for the ruling. That conversation after this short break. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I think we completely agree with the principle the Supreme Court laid out, namely that public employees, including public school employees, have the right to visibly practice their faith in many circumstances, from wearing a hijab, wearing a kippah, wearing a a cross with a necklace, uh, even bowing the head silently in prayer uh, at, at lunchtime, right? That it's perfectly okay in America to visibly practice your faith. There is a limit, though. There is a line to that. Whether or not the Supreme Court got the exact judgment right with what this coach was doing, uh, we're, it's debatable. But the principle, the principle we agree with, and now that the Supreme Court has said very clearly that public school employees have the right to pray in public, uh, and if students join them in doing that after hours, it's not a problem, then the test now is, will that principle be applied equally to people of all faiths? And people exercising, for example, the right to engage in political uh, activity, such as kneeling on a football field. So we agree with the principle. We are concerned about whether or not that principle will actually be equally applied to all people of all faiths or all ideologies. I wonder if you think that a Muslim high school football coach would feel comfortable in a nation that has sadly been, you know, full of Islamophobia for years now, would feel comfortable doing the same thing. I highly doubt it. And and imagine if in Mississippi, you know, a football coach went to the 50-yard line and called the Islamic call to prayer, which begins with Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, and then, you know, bowed in prayer. Now, according to the Supreme Court, he has the right to do that. Absolutely now he has the clear right to do that, according to the Supreme Court. But would that have elicited the same reaction as the Christian coach kneeling in prayer did? I doubt it. Uh, And so, yes, I'm sure many Muslim coaches would fear for their safety if they did such a thing. But the Supreme Court has said, you've got the right to do that. So if you're Muslim, you're Jewish, whatever, if you want to go on the field after the game is over and you want to pray, you have the right to do that. And so now the Supreme Court's going to have to put uh, its money where its mouth is and protect the rights of all people to visibly practice their faith. Now, the one thing I would note, though, Allison, is that I think most Muslim coaches would not want to do this. Prayer is not 
uh, a, a public spectacle. It's a, it's a private act between you and God. It can be done in public, but it's not done for the benefit of people looking. So I can easily imagine a Muslim coach praying on the sidelines, even in the middle of the game, if it's time to pray, but not making a spectacle of it, not trying to encourage anyone to join him. That's not why we as Muslims uh, pray. So I don't think this will actually turn out to be a problem or a point of contention, but the, the key thing is the principle. If a person decides to pray in this way, they've got to be treated no differently than this coach was. Do you think it is a good thing, as some pundits are saying, that the Supreme Court appears to be expanding religious liberty in the nation? You know, overall, I think it is a good thing. You know, our our country was obviously founded on the concept of religious freedom. And obviously, we have a separation of church and state. Uh, you know, as a lawyer, I think some uh, modern legal scholars have, have misunderstood that separation. Instead of it being a wall that is protecting people of faith from government and vice versa, I think some people use that separation as, as a weapon against people of faith to try to exclude people of faith from the public sphere. And you've seen that happen in some countries. For example, France is very hostile to public displays of religion, especially by Muslims and other religious minorities. In America, that's never been the way of doing things. We still have prayer at the beginning of many city council meetings. We invoke God in the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, you know, we've never completely excluded the practice of religion from public view. The key thing is that the government cannot endorse a religion or elevate religion over non-religion, or for that matter, elevate non-religion over religion. There has to be this level of reasonable neutrality. You know, it's a very difficult balance to strike. Uh, and I think the Supreme Court's principles they're laying out are right. My big concern is whether or not these principles will be applied in, an, in an, a reasonable, effective way. Uh, it is a difficult balance to strike, and you could easily get it wrong uh, on either side of that line. When you say get it wrong, are we talking about eroding the separation between church and state? Imagine, for example, some some uh, a teacher, a public school teacher reads the Supreme Court's ruling and says, all right, well, you know, if I need to stop in the middle of class and I feel like praying, then I can get on my knees and just start praying out loud until the class will resume in a few minutes. You know, I don't think the Supreme Court allowed something like that to happen. I think that would clearly violate the First Amendment because it would be very clearly a teacher while he's unquestionably on duty uh, in the middle of class, unnecessarily uh, publicly uh, discussing religion in a way that any normal student would think is the state endorsing religion. So I think some people might want to push the envelope uh, with this ruling. Uh, but if, if schools are really reading what it says, then they should be able to make sure that teachers are not abusing the, the liberty that they have been granted by this ruling. But it's, I can imagine someone doing it. I can imagine students who are minorities, Muslims, Jews, others, being made to feel uncomfortable by certain displays of religiosity by people of the majority faith. And so we have to be on the lookout for that. Okay. Um, speaking of Islamophobia, I know that Care just did a survey of Muslim voters. And I'm wondering, what do people say about the way they feel anti-Muslim sentiment is in this country? Has it stayed the same since President Trump left office? Has it increased? Well, yeah, that's a very good question. Our survey showed that the plurality of Muslims feel Islamophobia has stayed exactly the same since President Trump uh, left office. That's not a complete surprise to us. I mean, anti-Muslim bigotry did not begin with Donald Trump, and so it certainly did not end with Donald Trump. He just figured out how to harness anti-Muslim bigotry to advance public policies and, and to win votes. Uh, and so I'm not surprised to see that so many American Muslims think Islamophobia has not 
um, uh, change at all. I'm a little disturbed to see that so few think that uh, it's gotten any better, right? There's a single digits uh, people who said that they think the issue of anti-Muslim bigotry is faded at all. So, you know, I think that's probably accurate, but it is concerning. Uh, we definitely want to see people feel more comfortable, even if the reality is something different. You know, I would hope that people feel more comfortable in an environment where their faith isn't being publicly attacked on the evening news every day. And so I think, you know, for many Muslims, they they still feel like things have not changed enough uh, since President Trump uh, left office. And that has to do with structural Islamophobia, many of our government policies. It has to do with kind of the anti-Muslim bigotry that is still showing up on cable news channels. And of course, what we see online, uh, it's, it's, it's a persistent problem and it doesn't go away overnight. I know that religious freedom was one of the top five domestic issues that Muslims are concerned about in this survey. Talk to me about what else. So, yeah, the other concerns, in addition to religious freedom, were international human rights. Muslims are very concerned about the threat of global Islamophobia that has led to, obviously, the the Chinese genocide of Uyghur Muslims, ethnic cleansing of Rohingya Muslims, and so many others experiencing difficulty, Palestinians, Kashmiris, Indians, etc. But the other concerns that Muslims noted were very similar to the concerns that every American has, the economy. Healthcare access, education, you know, these things impact American Muslims as much as they impact everyone else. And those were all in the top five concerns of the American Muslim community. So you see some unique issues that we're concerned about, global Islamophobia, international human rights, uh, civil rights, religious freedom, but also many of those, uh, those kitchen table issues that everyone is concerned about these days. The survey also showed that President Biden has some approval issues among Muslim voters. Yes, you know, American Muslims overwhelmingly voted for uh, President Biden in the 2020 election, but now his disapproval rating is at 49% among the American Muslim community, and his approval rating is at only 28%. So that somewhat, it's a little worse than his national approval rating, but, you know, we are seeing that same trend uh, nationally uh, of what general voters think about President Biden's job performance reflected in what Muslim Americans think about his job performance. I suspect a lot of it has to do with his foreign policy decisions, um, which many American Muslims, you know, are, are upset about, especially relates to, to issues of Palestine. I also think, though, you know, inflation um, and, uh, and uh, other issues that are pocketbook issues, you know, the president gets blamed for those things, rightly or wrongly. And so I think that's probably playing a major role in that negative approval rating, the same as it is with the American public in general. Do Muslims see President Biden as friendly? Well, you know, our poll asked whether or not the uh, American Muslim community viewed the Democratic Party and the Republican Party as either friendly, neutral, or hostile to Muslims. And what we found is that most Muslims said they felt the Democratic Party was actually neutral, not not mostly friendly, but mostly felt it was neutral uh, to Muslims. Then a large chunk felt it was positive and a small uh, group felt it was negative. And then the Republican Party, there was an overwhelming feeling, 84%, that the Republican Party is hostile to the Muslim community. So those are interesting numbers. I'm not surprised by the, the Republican number, given that, you know, President Trump and some other Republican leaders have been very hostile to Muslims. But the Democratic number is interesting because many people assume that Muslims are now just in lockstep with the Democratic Party and it's a copacetic relationship. But actually, many Muslims say, no, we just feel the Democratic Party is neutral uh, to us. Uh, and there is even some disagreement. Some Muslims report being 
fiscally conservative, socially conservative, and yet they plan to vote for Democrats overwhelmingly. And that shows you the nuance, the intelligence of the American Muslim community, the ability to disagree about some things, agree about other things, and then still be willing to go up and, and cast a vote for someone, even if you don't agree with everything they stand for. That's the kind of political intelligence and nuance that American Muslims and other minorities have to exercise when engaging in American politics. That was CARE National Deputy Director Edward Ahmed Mitchell. Thanks so much for joining us. Also, thanks to Alan Pang for his production assistance. Like what you hear? Come on back for more. There will be new episodes of Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys every Friday. Follow the show on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast, and leave a rating or review. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Keys, CBS News. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.